Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keene, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keene. Round three, can you hear me now? I can hear you. Can you hear me? We're good. I'm good. All right. Let's get into it. We're live. Episode 37. This episode, we're going to recap the two fight night cards that went down last week. We're going to dive into John Jones versus Francis super fight. And then we're going to jump into some current events and kind of what turned out to be a little bit of a crazy week in MMA. And then we've got a fight card this weekend we're going to look into. So we've got a lot to go over. We're going to try to keep it to an hour. Like always, housekeeping, everyone like, subscribe, share, do what you got to do. Keep getting the word out there and we'll keep coming back for more. So, Billy, we're back. What's going on? Man, the, uh, you know, it, it's so funny. Like, I feel like we got just the all-you-can-eat buffet of great matchups over the past week or so. And I can't find one fight outside the main event now that my boy Kevin Holland is off the card. Yeah. I can't find one fight that's uh, that's interesting this weekend outside of the main event. Yeah, we got the main event, and then we got our boy Brock Weaver is fighting on there. He's always fun, but I, I agree. I mean, I looked over the card, and I think I texted you, and you agreed. We're like, what other fight besides the main event do you care about? Um, so we'll, we'll save that for the end, but let's, um, let's jump right in. I want to talk about the two fight night cards that we had uh, following the Justin Gaethje-Tony Ferguson card. Let's start with the Wednesday event that was Glover Ticks. Glover to Sarah and um, Anthony Smith, Lionheart Smith. Um, I thought, you know, obviously there was a lot of controversy coming out of that fight about the stoppage. Um, in my eyes, Anthony Smith started great, you know, round one, round two. He looked really, really good. Um, I think he started a little too fast, obviously. And we'll, I'll ask you about that here in a little bit. But um, after that, I mean, he just got battered. You know, I think he took a big left hook in the second or third round and then it got followed up with a big elbow that that was the elbow that knocked out his teeth um that we heard him talking about between rounds so what was your thought on that fight i think glover both of us kind of did you pick glover or did we both go with anthony smith okay you know i picked glover because that's my boy because glover trains in danbury connecticut okay that's right that's right that's right yeah, so you were right, and I was completely wrong. I thought Anthony Smith was going to go in there and blow the doors off of Glover, and he looked really good in the first two rounds, and then after he got cracked, which I think the left hook was the one that broke his orbital, and I heard him in his interview saying basically after that, he was just, the whole fight was a fog, and he couldn't pick up any of the punches coming in, and I thought he did as much as he could do to survive and stay in the fight, but he was just, he just got battered. So let's jump into that. Um Thoughts on the stoppage? You know, there was a lot of blame thrown at the corner, thrown at Jason Herzog, the ref, thrown at the doctor. Where do you stand on the stoppage? I think it's an impossible situation, to be honest. I think, like, you know, you hear you hear people like Ariel and other big names in, in the MMA media who come out and they're all over this, how bad this stoppage was, how hard this was to watch. But the flip side argument to me is, I thought Anthony Smith was doing just enough to kind of keep himself in that fight over and over and over again. Yeah, the whole time. And Glover keeps going for 
submissions the mm-hmm. entire time when Smith is clearly hurt. And if he if he just keeps throwing punches there, there's a few times where I felt like he threw a couple more unanswered punches instead of going for a rear naked choke. And there's no doubt that that fight gets ended. But what kept happening was he kept getting him right to the edge. Then he'd go for the rear naked choke and Anthony Smith would defend himself. So what's Jason Herzog supposed to do? Is he supposed to step in and, you know, go against the fighters intelligently defending himself? He can't coach Glover in there and say, hey, hit him a few more times and I'll stop this thing. Um, So in that sense, it falls on the corner. But I mean, you're going to talk about this later, I'm sure. But Anthony Smith has really come out in defense of his corner and said, I don't let my guys throw in the towel. I don't, we don't, we have a conversation about it. I don't let them do it. So if that's the agreement and that's the way the fight played out, I mean, you can, you can be mad all you want, but I don't really think the ref is supposed to get in there and stop someone who's intelligently defending submissions and clearly not out. Yeah, that, that was a hard one. That was kind of Anthony Smith's point. He, he just flat out said on the aerial show, he's like, I, I take that option off the table. That's not an option. If you're going to corner me, that's not an option, period. Um, so with that in mind, I agree with you. I I think he was doing just enough to stay in that fight. Um, I don't think Jason Herzog did anything wrong. And he actually came out on, I think social, maybe Instagram or Twitter and basically kind of took the blame for the beating. But the bottom line is I, I think he did the best job refing that fight that he could. Um, the only the only person I will say maybe could have stepped in and stopped that fight was the doctor just because it looked bad. Um, I think, you know, after he broke his orbital, it was kind of like the Tony Ferguson, you know, situation that last shot he took from Justin Gaethje. It was just like every shot he was taking, whether it was a jab straight, whatever he was bracing, kind of covering up like clenching. You could tell it was really, really hurting him. So I, I don't place the blame on the corner or the ref. I, I think, if it needed to be stopped earlier, the doctor could have maybe stopped it and just said, hey, you know, with this broken orbital, he's not able to fight. Um, but besides that, I mean, it was just a case of, I think Anthony Smith got started too fast. You know, I, I think he was anticipating on getting Glover out of there in the first or second round. Um, then he gets clipped and then his gas tank's gone. And Glover's just a veteran that basically just capitalized on that and was able to get a huge win at 40 years old is now on a four fight win streak in the light heavyweight division. I mean, honestly out what one, one fight away from another title shot at 40 years old. Yeah. So my thing about Anthony Smith's strategy in this fight, and I think it's, we talked about it, you know, last podcast, but the, the dynamic of no crowd means that you hear every word out of your coach's mouth, the other coach's mouth, the announcer's mouth. And I just think Anthony Smith got overcoached. And maybe it's a situation where if you're in an arena, you need to coach like that if you're Mark Montoya because, you know, he might not hear you. You know, the crowd's loud. You know, Everyone's going ballistic. So you might get one out of every five or six instructions. Yeah. But when he's getting every single instruction and he's getting every single, you know, call, every punch, every elbow called out to him in those first rounds, I mean, we could hear it on the broadcast. I mean, no wonder he gassed out. I mean, the volume he was throwing, the pace he was throwing was just not sustainable for not just Anthony Smith, but no one in that division. Then you have Glover Teixeira, who, I mean, his MO is he's going to throw big bombs with that left hand. 
and he's an unreal grappler. He's an unbelievable grappler. If you even get close, you know, if you get to 60% of your gas tank against a grappler like that, mm-hmm. he's going to suck the whole thing out of you because he could just wear you down on the ground. And that's exactly what Glover did as soon as he clipped Smith. He took him down, he got him to the ground, and he was able to wear him out over the course of the next, you know, 10, 12 minutes and eventually mm-hmm. win the fight. Yeah, the commentators made a big, especially I think DC was the one that kept harping on that. Was It was like literally James Krause and Montoya were like, playing an Xbox game with Anthony Smith. It was the weirdest thing. It, they would shout out a command. He would do it. It would be successful. They'd do it again. But I, I agree. I, I think that's one of the dynamics with the no crowd factor that, you know, we're going to learn about is like, hey, you know, you can hear everything your coach is saying. So maybe the corner needs to do a little, a little better job of pacing the fight. Because, I mean, that could be, like you said, that could be the normal pace that they're used to calling but when you have 18,000 people screaming you know the fighter gets every you know second or fifth call so yeah it was I don't know it was weird like I said he looked really really good he was doing everything perfect I mean I I think I I don't think it's as much of him gassing but once he broke his orbital I mean it was just like you know every punch he was getting hit with was laboring and yeah, that that was hard to watch, but I mean, what he said, he basically said that, hey, everyone needs to quit being sissies. This is cage fighting. And I mean, when you sit back and look at it, you know, almost a week removed from the event, you know, I, I kind of agree. I was like, I don't see anyone. I don't see his corner at fault. I don't see Jason Herzog at fault. It was just a beating. You know, the guy got hurt in there and he got beat and, you know, a big, big win for Glover. So that leads me to my next question. Where do these guys go from here? Obviously, Glover's 40. Um, Anthony Smith is still, you know, somewhat in his prime and I think could, you know, potentially make another run at the light heavyweight title. Assuming John's going to go up and fight in heavyweight, you know, I I think that's a division that, you know, he could be a serious title contender for the next four or five years. So where do these guys go from here? So for me, uh, you know, if John's going up to heavyweight, which kind of all signs point that way, you know, the way John's talking about it now, it seems really serious. And this is what he wants to do. I think you basically have a four man tournament for the uh, vacant light heavyweight title. I think you have Tiago Santos, Tom Reyes, mm-hmm. uh, Jan Blahovich, and Glover Teixeira. And you put all four of those guys in the bracket. You can match each of them up with whoever. I think a lot of those guys, a couple of those guys at least have fought before. So maybe you want some fresh matchups, at least in the first round. But those are my four guys that I'm looking at as, you know, you know, they all kind of have a claim, in my opinion, to be the next guy to fight for that vacant title. Um, So so I, I would match those four guys up. Yeah, I had um, I think Anthony Smith fighting Corey Anderson right now. Makes a lot of sense. Um, again, it's all dependent on John. If John wants to stay in the division, I would assume he gets Jan Blahovich next. And then maybe you get Glover versus Dom Reyes. And then you get Anthony Smith versus Tiago Santos. That would be a really, really fun fight. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Actually, they fought at uh, middleweight. Middle, middleweight. Right. That was Anthony Smith's last fight, last loss before he went on that run. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that's a great fight. I think that's a fun matchup. Obviously, Santos hasn't fought since John Jones, right? No, because he destroyed his knee in that fight. Both of them. <laughs> yeah, so um, 
Yeah, I think in the next couple months, I I think by the summer, June, July, you're going to know what John's doing. Um, and I think the, the division's going to start moving along. So, yeah, that was a huge win for, for Glover. Um, you know, still doing it at 40 years old is pretty fucking amazing. But um, outside of Glover's performance, what, for me, this was a... The the fight on the card on Saturday was a lot better card, you know, start to finish. But um, who was your biggest winner out of this card outside of the main event? I have to go. I have to go with Brian Kelleher. I mean, I, I thought, you know, he looked really good against an undefeated prospect who was heavily favored against him. Um, you know, he's now, I think, won three in a row. Um, I think three in a row in four of his last five, something like that. He's putting a nice streak here together. I thought he did a really good job with the Sugar Sean call out. I think he's a unique, really well-spoken guy. I mean, he's I've heard him do like he did the MMA beat back when they still had that on MMA fighting before, you know, done a lot of media stuff. I think Kelleher is a guy who if he wins fights, he has the personality to be, you know, much bigger than your average UFC fighter. Who'd you have as your biggest yeah, winner? Yeah, for me it was Drew Dober. That was a guy that I had an eye on just because I had you know, I've seen his last couple of fights. Um, the fight that really put him on the map for me was that I'm going to struggle with this name. The Hasparas fight. N- uh, Nazrat Hakparas. Nazrat Hasparas fight. Um, that was one that we were super. And Drew Dober came out there and starched him in the first round. So that kind of caught my eye. And um, I mean, the dude's like a fucking specimen. He is so he's shred city. And he trains with Justin Gaethje. He's one of Justin Gaethje's main training partners. So um, he put on a hell of a show. Alexander Hernandez is a guy that, you know, two years ago this time, everyone was high on. He was this young, brash, up-and-coming guy that was the self-proclaimed, you know, Conor McGregor 2.0. And he went in there and just absolutely lit him up. So Drew Dober, I think, put himself in – a really, really good position. He's now 31 years old. He's got 33 MMA fights. He's won six of his last seven fights. I, I think it's time for him to get a top 10 fight. I'd like him to see him match up against uh, Diego Ferreira, um, who just came off a big win against Showtime Pettis, or Raging Al would be a really fun fight. I think both of those guys are right inside the top 10. So, yeah, Drew Dober, for me, he put on a damn good show, and I was very, very impressed with him. Um, that's pretty much it for that card. So that was the Wednesday night. Saturday night, hey, we had... Go ahead. Your boy, Drew Dober. Did you see the article about him as... Uh, Drew Dober's apparently a phenomenal baker. His first job out of college, he worked as a baker in a grocery store. And that dude can, like, like makes his own donuts, like, can make, like, really, like, exquisite, like, elaborate pastries, like... He will kick your ass and he'll bake you chocolate chip cookies afterwards. Seems like, like a very, very nice guy too. <laughs> His interview and that, everything is just super respectful. Yeah, that guy seems awesome. I would love to have Drew Dober over for cookies. I would love to have him on the podcast. Any, you know, this guy I think is is going to be kind of a he's going to be a hardcore fighter, but he's going to be one of those guys that like the MMA world kind of knows about. And we're all in on Drew Dober. I, I'm I'm very high on him. I, it's a great pick for winner of this card. Yeah, he's definitely making a lot of noise. So let's move on to the the next card. We had um, Alistair Overeem, obviously a legend, um, taking on Walt Harris in the re- return. Walt Harris's return after the kidnapping and murder of his daughter is obviously 
tragic, tragic situation that took, you know, kind of unfolded over the last year. Um, I thought for Alistair, this is, <clears throat> this is a hard fight, you know, to not get emotional about it's the, the whole lead up was all about Walt Harris and what's going on with his family. And I thought Alistair handled it as professional as possible from start to finish, you know, the whole build up, the fight getting canceled multiple times, um, to the way he handled himself, overcoming the early adversity. Alistair got clipped early, like in, you know, maybe in the first minute and a half. And he was able to survive. He stalled on the ground with a heel hook. He was able to get back to his feet. He caught a sloppy kick from Walt Harris, put him to the ground, and basically controlled him for three minutes of the first round. So although he got dropped in that first round, I, I think he actually won the first round. And then the second round comes out, looks awesome, drops Walt Harris with a big uh, high kick, and then follows it up with a straight right, and then basically just mounts him and beats him down and finishes the fight. So Alistair, another guy, I think he's, what, 40 now also? Just turned 40? 40 years old, 65 MMA fights professionally. It's incredible. And to come in and, I mean, he's basically a guy that's going to main event cards the rest of his career. Um, I mean, he had a huge payday. He made 400 grand at 40 years old, you know, fighting in heavyweight, which is awesome, which is, I mean, that's got to be, he's got to be one of the top earners in heavyweight, you know, and I, I don't see any reason he can't keep doing this for another two to three years. I mean, the shape he's in phenomenal. He's just a guy that I, I think he's been able to just keep it going and keep evolving and keep growing and keep learning and just finding a way to stay relevant and stay competitive as the years go on. I mean, this dude's first fight was in 1999. You and me were in grade school back then. It's, it's crazy. Alistair Overeem has the best fight IQ of any heavyweight. And it, the way you know that is every single fight, every single one. And we're talking about a guy, 65 fights. You know, that's, two careers worth of fights. I mean, this guy had a whole fight career before he ever got to the UFC. Um, every single fight, he comes with a new skill. Every single fight, something is better. This is a guy who is a legitimate world champion K1 kickboxer who won a fight this weekend at 40 because of grappling. I mean, he won that fight because he took Walt Harris to the ground and he was able to control him in that side saddle position and hit him with big shots on the ground then he comes out in the second round. He's able to easily mount him, you know, no problem with the guard, no problem on the ground, and just, you know, takes control and lands those big bombs. I mean, there's virtually no one, and really no one at heavyweight, not that I can think of, that has made these improvements and these transitions over their career that Alistair has. And for me, I think what's interesting about Alistair is he's never really had like a home base camp. He always kind of hops camp to camp, you know, every few fights, every few years. And I heard an interview with him one time where he talked about how he looks to learn something new from each of these coaches and take that. And now he's with Team Elevation and Curtis Blades and working with him every day. So I think that's helping him a lot on the ground. But it, it never ceases to amaze me how much better Alistair Overeem gets fight to fight. The only thing that's going to derail him is if he goes up against some of these heavy hitters and gets knocked out. Yeah, that, that was one thing he when he came and did a seminar at McSweeney MMA, that was one thing I asked him was like, you know, hey, what are your plans for after fighting? And he said he wants to coach, you know, flat out. He wants to coach. He loves 
learning and studying and learning new things and evolving and working with people. And I mean, he was, when he was talking to us, he was talking about all kinds of things from his, you know, he does Wim Hof breathing, cold plunges, the things he's learned over the years with his diet. Um, you know, just like you said, he, he's traveled the world for 25 years training with the best fighters in the world across multiple organizations, multiple disciplines. And the dude's just a wealth of knowledge. Like being in, being in there and training with him is just like, holy shit, this guy has seen it all. He's done it all. He knows so much and has so much to give back. And I think someone with that high of fight IQ at heavyweight can go a long time because a lot of these heavyweights, you know, the Derek Lewis is of the world. They get by from just having one or two things that they're good at. You know, they have that big bomb that's going to it's like Teddy Atlas calls it. It's the great eraser. You know, Francis has it. Derek Lewis has it. um, DC's wrestling, obviously. But Alistair's a guy that's been able to just. Just keep learning and combine all of his knowledge from, you know, a lifetime of fighting and stay at the highest of high levels. So it's very, very impressive. Um, That leads me to my next question. Do you think we'll see Alistair Overeem get another shot at the title? For me, they they can't pot, you know, after DC and Stipe eventually finish their trilogy. There's no way you can deny Francis Ngannou at this point, right? I mean, we all agree you have you have to give it to Francis. So that being said, I I think if Overeem were to win one more against the top five guy, I think you could see them giving him a shot, but that won't be for at least another year because we have to see the Stipe DC trilogy and we have to see the Francis fight. And if Overeem's still on a one or two fight winning streak, you know, over that time, I think you could see him get a shot at the title. But I mean, once he gets the, gets there for me, it's impossible. I don't see anyone beating Francis. I just don't see it. So I, again, it's dependent on, Two things, really. DC, Stipe. What happens after that? Do both guys walk away? If both guys say, hey, you know, we had a great trilogy. We've had great careers. We're going to hang it up and we're done. I think heavyweight gets pretty crazy. And I could see Alistair making a run again. Because to me, I think he came in or he's ranked now at number six. You know, he has one more win against a top five guy. Who else is there? If DC, DC and Stipe leave... John Jones doesn't come up. You've got basically Francis and then you've got Curtis Blades, who's one of his teammates. So I don't know. I, I could see it, you know, especially Alistair's a guy that heavyweight is kind of aging out. I mean, a lot of these guys are getting close to retiring and he's a guy that he told us flat out. He said, I'm going to fight for three to four more years. My main goal is to win the heavyweight title. After that, I'm done. And I, I could see it. I could definitely see him getting another crack. Um, but I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be for probably a year, year and a half, which at the shape he's in, it's not huge, not a huge deal to me. Here's the big benefit for Alistair Overeem getting a title shot is Francis Ngannou has knocked out Curtis Blades twice now. They're not going to book a Francis Ngannou-Curtis Blades trilogy. And if if Alistair were to were to get one more win over one of those top five guys, you know, there wouldn't really be anyone, like you said, left 
for Francis to fight, so they would book the Alistair rematch because it has the most name value. Yeah, that's the biggest fight. You know, if those two guys retire, John Jones doesn't come up. That's the biggest money fight is Alistair versus Francis, you know, for the rematch. Um, all right. So what where do you think both of these guys go from here? Let's start with Alistair and then we'll go into Walt Harris. For Alistair, I mean, I, I really want to see the Derek Lewis fight. I think a couple of fights ago, maybe it was against Olenek or I forget, but he called out Derek Lewis. I like that fight. I, I think it's kind of your your barroom brawler against your very technical kickboxer. So I really like that. But I think there's tons of interesting matchups available. You know, I would watch him fight Volkov. That's a previously scheduled fight. I would watch him fight Darzina Rosenstrike again because I think he got kind of shafted with that stoppage. Uh, I would watch him fight Curtis Blades again because, you know, I think he, he kind of deserves to avenge that loss. But I think there's tons of options for Alistair. Yeah, for me, I think Black Beast makes the most sense. That's a fun fight. You can headline, you know, another fight night with that. I think Alistair's six, so Black Beast is eight. Um, you know, I'd like to see that next. And then... You know, I think the winner of that puts himself up there with another Francis fight. You know, if if John doesn't come up and we assume that DC and Stipe retire after this, which I think they would because I don't think anyone's going to sign up to fight Francis again and roll the dice on your legacy, whether it's either one of those guys. It's just a very, very tough spot to be put in. The winner of that fight, you know, they're going to have their last send-off retirement fight against Francis Ngannou. What if you get starched? What kind of, what kind of uh, legacy? What does that do to your legacy? You know, especially for a guy like DC that, to me, kind of gets overlooked. Um, and we'll talk about this later on. But I mean, I I think DC is a top five fighter of all time, and no one, no one. That's not a common thought. You know, DC is someone that just kind of gets overlooked because he's been number two to John Jones all these years. And if Stipe gets the better of him, he'll kind of be number two to Stipe. So yeah, it's interesting. But um, what about for Walt Harris? I want to see him fight Junior Dos Santos. You know, it's two guys coming off a loss. Um, You know, I think it's kind of a question of is Walt Harris a legitimate top 10 heavyweight or, and is Junior Dos Santos have anything left in the tank? So I think that's a good fight. It's a fun fight again. I think you could put that on the main card of a pay-per-view. I think you could put that, you know, maybe a co-main event of a fight night. Um, but I, I think it's a good fight. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the undercard. I thought the undercard was really, really fun. You had Angela Hill versus Claudia Kadeja. That was a great fight. Um, Dan Ige versus Edson Barbosa. That was a fun fight. Um, Song Yudong versus Marlon Vera. That was a fun fight. Um, but all three of those seem to be marred a little bit by controversy. Um, I don't know how you saw it. I had Angela Hill winning a very close decision. I thought she was just more active. Um, and I really like Angela Hill. So I was maybe a little biased. Um, Dan Ige versus Edson Barbosa. Um, I thought they got that one right. But, you know, I thought Danny Ige was maybe just... Oh, Parker. Oh, what? Parker. You, you're going to disagree? Oh boy. Keep going. Keep going. Well, I just I thought he landed the more powerful shots and was more aggressive over the three three rounds. Okay. Um Son Yudong versus Vera was very, very close. I thought 
Song Yudong faded the last two rounds. Um, I thought his power was very strong in the first round, but I thought Marlon Vera did enough to get that victory. So tell me what you're thinking about Edson Barbosa. Edson Barbosa nearly finishes Dan Ige in round two of this fight. He hits a clear, like a liver kick that like drops Ige and Ige like recovers by using some defensive jujitsu, but Edson Barbosa dominated the first two rounds of this fight, like dominated them. Like every single shot that he threw hurt Ige and Ige would have to throw five or six to just stick Edson. Like I don't, I didn't think that that fight was close. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that, but I watching it, I thought Dan Ige won initially. Um, or are you, you agree with the other two? So I thought the Angela Hill fight was the worst of these three decisions. Uh, maybe, I don't know. It's this and the Barbosa fight were really bad. But Angela Hill clearly wins the last two rounds of these, this fight for me. Like, very obviously, um, like nearly a 10-8, I thought, in round two. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And I I thought that was shitty because that was her first real crack to get in the top 10. And I feel like she had that taken away from her. Um, Claudia Gadeja just hasn't looked to me the same as that. I don't know. She got lucky. I think she got lucky with a decision against Carla Esparza, too. So, like, I think she's getting a couple benefit of the judges and not winning these fights. Yeah. The Yadong Vera fight I thought was actually legitimately close. I think he, I think he really could have given the the second round to anyone. Um, I think those two guys are going to be a problem at at uh, bantamweight. That's both of those I guys are really fucking good. That Yadong yeah. was my uh, bantamweight to watch. Yeah, I like Marlon Vera. I like the way he fights. I still want to see him versus Sugar Sean. I think that's a really fun fight. Um, but yeah, those two guys. I don't think there was a real loser there that was a great fight you know both of them are starting to bloom in their ufc career so i think we're going to see both of those guys for the foreseeable future all right anything else on the fight cards the fight night cards i just feel bad for edson barbosa at this point because if you remember he got screwed on a decision against paul felder in my opinion too i mean that was a close fight Uh, that's another one that i don't know that was super super close that's tough, though. He looked good. I thought he looked good at that weight. I think he could be a problem at 45. No, I, I think he could, too. And, I mean, he didn't seem to struggle at all with the weight. He looked, you know, just as good. Didn't look like he was diminished in any way from the weight cut. Um, yeah, I agree. I think he could have some new life and have a lot of fun fights down there. There's a lot of good matchups for him um, down at 145. So, all right. Let's move on. That was the fight night cards. Um, John Jones versus Francis. We're a little late to the party, and I, I think everyone's kind of playing possum here. I, I still think this is the next fight for John Jones. I think there's a lot of shit going on behind the scenes right now, but let's, let's just go through the timeline. You kind of lead us off and walk us through everything that went down last week. Yeah, basically, John Jones on Twitter says he thinks it's time to solidify his legacy essentially and which is crazy as if he already hasn't solidified his legacy are you kidding me have you seen his resume well i think the thing that bothers the thing that bothers john is that there's anyone who questions that he's the greatest of all time 
Like for every person who says GSP's the greatest or Fedor or Anderson Silva or whoever, like that bothers John. John wants it to be unquestionable that when he retires, everyone asks who's the best MMA fighter of all time, and everyone says it's John Jones. Yeah, no, I agree so, with that. I, I think he's also he's ready for big money fights too. You know, I I think he'll make in the Fran- if they book the Francis fight, he'll make probably what he made in his last three fights against. I mean, it's the biggest. This yeah, is the it, biggest non McGregor card or fight that the UFC can make. This is way bigger than DC, DC Stipe three. It's bigger than Masvidal against anyone other than Connor. It's bigger than Nate Diaz against anyone other than Connor. Um, who else? It would be a big draw. I mean, like Khabib I think versus Con- Francis- it's, yeah. Any any fight besides a fight with Conor McGregor, I think this is the number two biggest fight you can make right now. And like, it's a perfect be- perfect time to make it right now. The only thing that might top this would be some sort of freak show fight. There's no legitimate MMA fight. But like, okay, so like if Floyd Mayweather got in there for a mixed rules fight with Conor McGregor, it outsells this. If Brock Lesnar gets in the UFC, it probably outsells this. Give me Brock and Francis. Let's get crazy. You know, Logan Paul, like some weird gimmicky thing could outsell this just because like that's the way this sport works. But there is no legitimate MMA fight without Conor McGregor that outsells Francis versus John Jones. All right, so that leads me to my next question. If they do book this fight, which I think they will for the end of the summer, I think this is your international fight week uh, pay-per-view headliner, if Conor's not headlining it. But um, there's been a lot of talk. This should obviously be for a belt, correct? This has to be for, at the very least, the interim heavyweight belt. And the thing that, if I'm John and Francis, the thing that you want to happen is you want DC and Stipe to take as long as possible to get booked. Because if that happens and they have to wait and wait and wait on that fight and that trilogy to get concluded and it holds up the division, Francis and John get way more bargaining power to argue we need an interim belt and this is the fight to make. Yeah. Um I personally don't see any huge downside for John taking this fight. I think, yes, it's a risk. You're walking in there against the Mike Tyson of MMA. But John's got some of the best head movement in the game. He's the Floyd Mayweather of MMA. He he rarely, rarely gets hit solid. Obviously, we've seen it doesn't take much from Francis, but do you see, outside the chance of him getting knocked out, any major downside for John taking this fight right now? There's no reputational risk, John, right? He won't be favored in this fight when he takes it. Like, he will be an underdog in this fight. And if he goes out there and loses it, even if he gets knocked out in 30 seconds, other than the physical toll of being in a cage fight with, you know, Francis Ngannou, which is, you know, has two Mack trucks strapped to his hands, like, other other than that physical toll, there's no reputational damage. Like, no one's going to look less upon John. It, it will be a huge boost to Francis if he can beat John. But John is not going to be looked down upon his legacy if he can't beat a guy who right now looks like he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. Yeah, I, I think if Francis, it's, there's huge upside for Francis. If he beats John, 
I mean, he's international superstar, I think. Because outside of outside, I mean, John Jones is still what top three famous fighter in the world. And if Francis goes in there and knocks out John Jones, I mean, after the bodies that he's been stacking, um, that's going to be huge. And I don't know if that happens. If Francis goes in there and starches John, is that the end of John at heavyweight? Does he stay down at light heavyweight and just ride out his career? Or do you think we see some sort of trilogy set up? No, I think I, I think if John gets I think if John gets knocked out, like he could legitimately think about retirement. I think if he gets knocked out at heavyweight, he'll go back down to light heavyweight and finish out his career there. But I kind of think when John loses the light heavyweight belt, if that ever happens, I, I think he'll retire from MMA legitimately. He might get he might look for one rematch, but if he ever gets to a point where he's no longer champion, he's not going to fight anymore. Okay, so let me ask you this. What what do you think the major holdup is in booking this fight? Because all the UFC brass seems to not be interested in this fight. Dana's kind of laughed it off, you know, kind of dancing around it. Um, what What's holding this fight up from being booked? Because, I mean, I, I think now is the perfect time. It's the perfect time it's right expensive. now. It's expensive. That's it's an expensive fight. Francis wants a lot of money. John wants a lot of money. That's it. That and the UFC doesn't want to pay it. And the UFC is, I think, kind of financially carrying um, Endeavor, the parent company right now, who is struggling with the lack of live events. Um, so I, I think I think that's legitimately what's going on. I think the UFC is trying to do, you know, high margin events and you know, get away with some less expensive fighters and drive viewership while people are still at home and can't go to the fights. And, um, you know, I think Dana might be also holding out for when they can do this with a gate because I don't think he feels a rush to book this fight. Yeah, I mean, especially if DC versus Stipe is not getting booked anytime soon. I, I think you need to kind of line up those timelines so the winner, you know, they roll into another fight after that. So, um, all righty, what else? Um, if they don't book this at heavyweight, who do you see John fighting next? And same question for Francis. I think John will fight Jan Blahovich. I, I think John would actually fight Jan Blahovich relatively soon. I, it, again, it kind of reminds me of the you know Derek Lewis, Daniel Cormier situation where I think John knows there's only one real way that Jan can beat him, and he, you know, is going to prepare for it and go out there and take care of business. Um, I think Francis, I think you could see him get put on, on the shelf again. Um, that is what I think is the most likely scenario. The, the only thing that I, I would at all interest me for Francis is if they want to book the Derek Lewis rematch and both those guys could kind of get some redemption for that god-awful fight. Um, you know, I, I would be interested in watching that. But, you know, I, I feel bad for Francis because... You're right. They're not booking DC Stipe anytime soon. And, you know, until that happens, Francis is kind of out of options. Yeah, it's just like he's just on the verge of becoming a huge superstar. And, you know, unfortunately, with the COVID thing and everything that's going on with Stipe and DC and then the uncertainty of John Jones, I mean, he's kind of pretty much left in limbo. So, um, It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out, but I, I think, I really do, I think we'll have an answer on this in the next month or so. I think they're going to have to book one of those one of those guys 
Um, whether it's, you know, a, a short turnaround for Francis to take on, you know, Black Beast or John defending his light heavyweight belt. I, I think you've got to fill the, the big summer cards with those guys and big names. So um, keep an eye out on that. We'll keep everyone posted. But that's for me right now. That's that's the most important fight to make in MMA. That does so much for the sport. So. All right, let's move on. Um, we've got fights this weekend. Obviously, we mentioned it at the top. Um, not a great card. I think they kind of blew their load in the first three cards back from the pandemic. But but we've still got former champion, um, one of the best welterweights of all time, Tyron Woodley, taking on rising star Gilbert Burns. Um, give me kind of the rundown of where they're fighting and then we'll dive into what we think about this fight. Yeah, so I will say, you know, as much as we're kind of dogging this card, this main event is really as good as it gets. This is a stellar fight. I, I absolutely encourage everyone to tune in for this main event. Um, I, I think it's going to be a really good one. But we are good to go at uh, the UFC Apex uh, in Las Vegas um, for this fight night, which is great. Um, they did the last few in Jacksonville. Uh, the Apex is the new state-of-the-art um, facility that the UFC built to film uh, the Contender Series. Um, so it's it's you know fully outfitted as a TV studio. It's built in kind of this uh, contained setting where um, you know they don't have the kind of cavernous arena that they have to deal with, but they can kind of make these made-for-TV cards with no crowd very easily. Um, and it's better because it's in Las Vegas. You know, you have the whole UFC infrastructure there for meals, for training, for guys getting equipment, for housing. Um, and I think it's going to be much better. Something that's going to be different this week is they're going to use the 25-foot cage instead of the 30-foot cage. So, you know, if you're betting, expect more knockouts, more finishes. Um, you know, it's going to be kind of higher-paced fights, closer fights. The other thing is they kind of have updated uh, guidelines for the COVID-19 testing and protocols. So I think a lot of the stuff that people complained about on Twitter uh, and other social media apps uh, for the fights last week about social distancing and people being kept you know, apart and um, you know, the, the way people were tested, I think a lot of that will be improved by this being in Vegas. So I think this is really best for everyone. Has, has the Vegas Strip opened back up yet? At all? They're talking about opening up casinos this week, I believe. Like a soft opening? Like limited capacity type things or what? Yeah, limited capacity. The thing that's hard about um, a casino is it's indoors and they have elaborate HVAC systems, right? So you're circulating a lot of that air throughout the casino to a lot of people. So if you're in a casino for a long period of time, and you're infected, and you're shedding the virus, you transmit it throughout the right. HVAC system. So that makes it kind of difficult to, to do a casino. Hmm. So do you know where the fighters are staying, and is the Apex going to be the home for the next couple fi- you know, couple cards? Is that kind of the game plan? I think that's the game plan. Um, Dana says Fight Island is going to be ready in July. The ironic part of that is now professional athletes even from travel banned countries can um, get special permission to travel to the u.s so as long as you figure it out ahead of time you really don't need fight island 
but hey, it's Dana White, so here we go. Um, but yeah, I think the Apex will be there. Um, you know, the fighters will probably staying in, in a hotel. Um, I assume Dana has relationships with the hotel owners uh, in Las Vegas, and I can't imagine that they're packed right now. Um, and then, you know, there's also a lot of Vegas-based fighters and, you know, people from kind of driving distance of Las Vegas that can come in and, um, you know, not have to stay there for that long. So that'll be good. Right. All right. So let's dive into the main event. Um, like we said, we've got former welterweight champion Tyron Woodley um, coming back. He hasn't fought since losing his belt to Usman over, it's over a year ago now, right? I think it was last March. Um, I mean, we've got Gilbert Burns, who's been, who moved up from 155 and has really been surging at 170. So for me, this is a crossroads fight for Tyron Woodley. Um, he's his back's kind of against the wall right now. He's still ranked at number one, the number one contender, which I don't get. Like if you lose to the champion, then don't fight for a year and you've got a lot of activity. You have to Let shuffle me. him in. I, I know you're, are you going to go off on that? Let me justify part or uh, Tyron being the number one contender right now, because I actually think he's incredibly deserving. Okay. So here's the thing. So the three, the three guys you're arguing for are Colby, Masvidal, and uh, Leon Edwards, Leon Edwards, right? Yes. Yes. Those are your three guys. So yes. Colby got finished by Kamaru Usman. In a great Tyron fight though. Not. In a great fight. But he didn't. Tyron did not get finished. Tyron did not get beat up in that fight. He lost badly to Usman, but he did not get beat up. I'm not going to say Colby got beat up. Colby broke his jaw in what the fifth round, but it was a very, very competitive fight. We're not going to. He got finished. Yes, yes, but he put on a much better performance than Tyron Woodley. I my thing is, if you lose to the champion, you should. I don't know. I think you should go down to number three and then have to take one more fight to work your way back up to the title. He, Something. Okay. It's just confusing. So, if you leave an inactive ex-champion at number one, it makes no sense. If he's a number one he, contender, he should be fighting Usman again. We shouldn't. He beat Darren Till. He beat, that's Masvidal's, probably Masvidal's best win. He beat Darren Till. And we had the Leon uh, Woodley matchup booked which is exactly what you're talking about, like moving down to number three. It's not like they booked him in a immediate rematch. They booked him against the top contender. They had it booked. It was ready to go. That was the perfect fight. And, you know, global pandemic happened. That's not Tyron Woodley's fault. Uh, Tyron Woodley's a better fighter than Colby Covington, and I think he beats Jorge Masvidal too. Whew, I don't know about that. I think right now... A Tyron Woodley's what thirty eight years old. I think Colby Covington melts Tyron Woodley, melts him, and I think I think Masvidal could go in there and, and knock him out. I really do. He's thirty eight years That's old. That's close fight. Yeah, that one's a toss up. I think Colby goes in there and dominates Tyron Woodley, and that's still. That's going to be one of the fights that got away. The UFC should have made that fight two years ago. Um, all right, but outside of that, he's your number one contender. Um, you know, Gilbert Burns is to me kind of a guy that can do everything. Obviously, he's world world class at jiu-jitsu, and I'll let you talk about that a little more. But he's just well rounded everywhere, and he's getting better. Um, he just seems to be going, you know, on an upward tra trajectory. And Tyron, 
seems to be at a crossroads. Like this is a big, big fight for Tyron Woodley. Um, so yeah, what what do you think? Thirty-eight year old Tyron Woodley has in the tank, and do you think he can make another run at the title? So, couple things. Uh, Tyron Woodley is still a All American, world class wrestler with dynamite in his hands. He's never been super reliant on speed. He's never been super reliant on volume. He's reliant on wrestling, wrestling defense, and that bomb of a right hand. I don't think Gilbert Burns has ever felt someone who hits like Tyron Woodley. You know, you're talking about a former lightweight here who's really made his made his bones in the UFC. Not that Gilbert Burns isn't impressive because he is, but he's been taking short notice fights against kind of, you know, your your tough guys just outside the top 15. I mean, the Damian Maya win is huge. Don't get me wrong. Very impressive. He's a world champion in jujitsu. He's unbelievable on the ground. Tyron Woodley's also a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Tyron Woodley darsh choked Darren Till in a welterweight title fight. He's very, very good still. And he's, you know, he's 38, but he's not that old in fight years. Like, he doesn't have that many miles on him. He hasn't taken that much damage. Right. Well, he's a guy that, I mean, got the title late. I don't think he got the title till he was, what, 33 or 34? So... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he's at because the Tyron Woodley that fought Usman a year ago, that that's not the champion championship caliber Tyron Woodley. And it could, you know, it could have been chalked up to, hey, it was an off night. Or it could have been, hey, I'm 38 years old. I'm starting to fade a little bit. And you've got these animals coming up, you know, through the rankings gunning for you. So I don't know. Um, I'm really, really interested in this fight. This is going to be... This is a really big fight for the division. Um, all right. So with the win, where do these guys go from here at welterweight? I mean, if you win this fight, I think you're right in that title conversation, especially with, you know, all this talk of, and we'll get into that later, but Usman and Masvidal, you know, not being able to come to terms on, on a deal. You know, if you win this fight this weekend, I think you have every claim in the world to get a, a welterweight title shot. No, I agree. Um, Do you think there's any chance Woodley moves up to middleweight? It's interesting. I think he would for the right fight. I think think Woodley would move up for a middleweight title shot. I think he would move up for um, like an Anderson Silva, I think would probably interest Tyron Woodley at middleweight. Um, But I I think even like a Luke Rockhold might interest him at middleweight if, if that were to come to fruition in some bizarre world. But uh, you know, I don't see him moving up to like take on Yoel Romero. Um, oh my god, that's a fun fight. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I I tend to think Tyron is um kind of fighting out his UFC deal and is going to head to Bellator after this because I think he wants to get with Scott Coker again, and and I don't think he really likes working with Dana White all that much. The only thing that's going to stop that is Tyron getting a a title. Yeah, he, he his situation kind of reminds me of Cyborg situation. Like obviously they he was in Strike Force before with Scott Coker. They have a great relationship. You come to the UFC, become champion, and then you don't really reach the stardom that you anticipate. And Tyron's, you know, anytime you hear him talk, he always has a chip on his shoulder. You know, for the UFC brass, it's like, hey, you know, he never got the right break or got treated the right way. So I could definitely see that. And and with 
you know, Rory McDonald leaving Bellator's welterweight division. Uh, you insert Tyron Woodley in there. That's a lot of fun fights. A lot of fun fights. So, um, yeah, I can see that. Um, what about Gilbert Burns? If he gets a win, where does he go? I think he's fighting Kamaru Usman next. I mean, he's done. He's been kind of the consummate company man. I mean, he fights anyone, any weight, anytime, anywhere. You know, short notice, normal camp. It, it doesn't matter. He's always in there. He's an exciting fighter. His striking has improved immensely. I mean, both of these guys. You see the videos of Woodley at aka Thailand. He looks unbelievable. And you know, obviously, Gilbert Burns has gotten so much better as a striker over his time in the UFC. And you know, I think this is a really fun fight. I'm really excited for it. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Woodley here. I think I think Woodley's gonna get this done. Um, you know, I'm thinking he's probably gonna finish him maybe in the second round. Um, what what do you have, Parker? I kind of agree. I think it's maybe too much too soon for Gilbert Burns. Um, I think Woodley's gonna have a chip on his shoulder. I I'm not certain where he's at right now, but I still think a 38 year old Woodley can come in and knock out Gilbert Burns. Um, like you said, I, I'm gonna watch out for the power. You know, it's Woodley's power. Um. He's not getting taken down by Gilbert Burns. I think he stuffed like 27 takedowns from Damian Maya in their fight. Um, and I, I would say Damian Maya is probably a similar, you know, class of ground fighter as Gilbert Burns. Um, maybe the wrestling's not as great, but there's the threat of, you know, jiu-jitsu is very similar. So I'm going to go with Woodley. I, I think I'm going to go third round knockout Woodley. Um you know, I think he's probably going to have a little bit of rust. He's been out for a while. Um, this Gilbert Burns, you know, he's explosive. Woodley may have to weather an early storm, but I think he's going to use his experience, his power, take down defense, and I think you get a knockout, Tyrell Woodley knockout. And then then I think you book the Colby fight. I think if he gets a knockout against Gilbert Burns, he gets on the mic, calls out Colby Covington. I, I don't think he's going to get an immediate title shot but him versus colby is a gigantic fight at welterweight that's probably the biggest fight you can make outside of you know a title fight at welterweight right now so uh that's what i would like to see but yeah that's gonna be a fun fight and then like we said our boy uh brock weaver's fighting on that card he's very very fun to watch he's on the main i believe he's on the main card yeah he's on the main card right yeah brock oh yeah he's fighting roosevelt roberts who that guy that guy can bang too. That's going to be a hell of a fight for Brock. Yeah, we'll have to get him on after to kind of get his whole feel of the whole thing. But yeah, I'll be pulling for Brock in that. Um, outside of that, not a lot of big names. Um, I'm anticipating they're going to reload for this June 6 card. I think that that should be a pretty decent card. They haven't released that whole thing yet, have they? They've released a lot of it. It's a really deep card. There's no like wow fight there's no big headliner obviously they're headlining it with amanda nunez against felicia spencer but uh the the fight card is really deep there's a lot of good fights on the the only fights they have on the main card are amanda nunez versus felicia spencer and then they've got ian ian heinish versus um uh gerald marchant charles boyd versus someone i've never heard of Alex Perez, Juicier Formega, Alonzo Minningfield, and Devin Clark. So it looks like they've got, what, five fights booked so far? 
But I would imagine next week that's all going to have to come out, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, they have more fights than that book book. They Do they? not just have put them up yet. Right, UFC, let's get it together on your damn website. Come on. That that Mearshart, that Mearshart Ian Heinish fight is a really good fight, though. Yeah, no, that really is. Um, all right, let's, we're making good time here, Billy. We're being very professional. Let's get into current events. All right, uh, Conor McGregor in the news again this week went on a gigantic rant, basically saying that he classifies him, he, he says by the end of the career, of his career, he will be the undisputed goat of MMA. Um, I want to get your initial thoughts on that, and then I want to run through, and I want each of us to give our top top three to five goats of MMA as it stands today. For the listeners, just so you guys know, Parker in the notes wrote top three goats and then proceeded to write about 12 names. So that's why we've now expanded from top three to three to five. Sometimes I get a little carried away. Just a little carried away. As far as Connor goes, you know, obviously he's hyping himself up and it's like classic Connor and we're talking about it and it's stirring controversy. And I I like all that. Like, I'm I'm all for it. But I I think you, you lose sight of his argument because it's almost so ridiculous. But... I I think he's got more of a point than people realize just because I think finishes do matter. The way that you won fights should matter when you're evaluating a go. I'm not saying it's everything, but I'm I'm also saying that in MMA like an undefeated record is also not everything. Never losing is also not everything. So I would rather a guy who came out and finished fights rather than a guy who all of his decisions or all of his fights are lay and pray decisions or really safe fights. I'm not necessarily someone who thinks it's all about just winning at any cost. I think if you can produce exciting finishes, that launches you above as well. And I think that's part of what Connor is arguing. Yeah. And I think with Connor, you've got to look at him differently than you look at GSP, Anderson Silva, uh, John Jones. For him, it's, High risk, high reward. Everything he's done with his career. I mean, for me, if Connor wanted to take the GSP route, he could have stayed at 145, and I think he's your dominant champion at 145. But he didn't. He's he. I mean, he is. He's going to be gunning. I guarantee you, he's going to find a way to talk himself into a third title fight at 170 by the end of the year somehow. And for Connor, it's just doing. What's the next biggest thing you can do? He he doesn't take the traditional mo- model of, hey, I'm going to fight at one weight class. I need f- 10 title defenses. No, his is what's going to be the biggest thing, the highest risk, you know, the biggest thing he can do to continue his name and the aura of Conor McGregor. And that that's the way I think he looks at it. And that's why, to me, I get the point of, hey, you know, Conor at the moment, he could classify himself as a GOAT because he's the biggest name in the sport. He's The things he's done for the UFC and MMA as a whole, worldwide, no one's, no one's done that. No one's even came close. So, yeah, I don't know. For me, it's going to take a couple more. It's going to take him getting another, you know, another title, whether, whether he picks it up at 170 or he finds a way to get his 155 belt back. Um, and then, yeah, I mean... 
I, I could see it when it's all said and done, Connor being the best. Well, most well-known fighter of all time. I don't know about GOAT because you've got, you know, GSP, John Jones, Anderson Silva that have the title defenses and the wins. And for me, GSP has the best case because every every loss that he's had, he's defended. He defended the Matt Hughes loss. He got it back. He defended the Matt Sarah loss. He got it back. And he's just kind of the consummate pro you know, real no blemishes in his outside life where you've got Connor, you've got John Jones who are just reckless, kind of off the wall, you know, always have drama in their personal life. Anderson Silva pop for steroids. So I don't, that's kind of my thoughts on that at the moment. I, I think it's just an impossible conversation because what you're talking about, right. Is the male goat because nobody, I mean, Amanda Nunes is the most accomplished MMA fighter any gender the sport has ever seen. There's no other fighter who's beaten every champion in every weight class that they've fought in. No, that's true. Yeah, I mean, female goat, it's hands down Amanda Nunes. Male goat, it's it's harder because it's not apples to apples. I mean, you had Conor McGregor at the height prime of his career stepped away from the sport to fight Floyd Mayweather. I mean, you can't conf- well, you can't compare that to the trajectory that, you know, the career path that GSP was on. It's just different. You know, Connor just looks well, at I, it different. And are you considering, so when you talk about this, are you talking about the person who had the highest peak, who was the best, like at, at a moment in time, they were the best to ever do it? Or are you talking about the person who put together the best resume? Because Cowboy Cerrone has a much better resume, in my opinion, than Connor McGregor does when you look at the whole career and add up all the achievements, but we've seen them fight. There's no argument that Cowboy is somehow greater than Connor as a fighter, in my opinion. Yeah, but I mean, Cowboy is similar to Connor. I mean, he's he's not basing his legacy on wins and losses. He's taking risks, taking fun fights. That's why those two guys are two of the most fan favorite fighters ever. Um, So it's interesting, but for me or for you, you go ahead, give me your top five goats at the moment as it stands. So for me, number one is John Jones and steroids aside. I think if you're going to talk about this sport and you're going to care like in the history of this sport, and you're really going to care about who was using steroids and who wasn't, you're going to have to exclude you know, 80% of the greatest fighters ever, probably more. So I don't really care about the picograms thing. I don't think it really affects, you know, John in the way that a lot of people do. But here's what John Jones has for me. He has wins over legitimate champions in three eras. He has a virtually unblemished record, if not for the Matt Hamill downward elbow. It's unblemished. John Jones has never lost. (laughs) And he has... Just a litany. I mean, a a he has finishes in every way you could possibly get finishes. He has joint locks. He has chokes. He has knockouts with elbows, with knees, with punches, with kicks. I mean, he is just the most complete martial artist. And, you know, at his size, there's no argument to me that, you know, he didn't fight great competition, didn't fight against, you know, guys who are, you know, a normal size like Mighty Mouse, because I do buy that argument with Mighty Mouse that, you know, how are you going to say he's the greatest fighter ever when, you know, he's below an average American size? Um, so John Jones for me is one. 
Two is Fedor. Um, I think he was the first guy we saw who was really good at multiple disciplines, like world-class at, you know, Sambo, Judo, and boxing. Um, he was the king of, of the best, best, the best I've ever seen. He fought everyone on, you know, every steroid in the book in the hardest rule set in, in MMA history. Um, and, you know, other than kind of this late, late chapter of his career, which a lot of it is kind of, you know, questionable how much the old Fedor was still there. I mean, he he was unbeaten for a decade. I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, and then my third guy is who you mentioned, GSP. Um, obviously, the record's there, sterling reputation. The thing that puts him behind John and Fedor for me is the lack of finishes. Um, you know, GSP's got a lot of decisions. And, you know, at some point that has to matter. Doesn't make him a less complete martial artist. I mean, being the third best MMA fighter of all time is nothing to sniff at. But uh, big fan of GSP. The the other two I kind of had is my honorable mentions, Jose Aldo. I mean, people forget because of the McGregor knockout, but Jose Aldo dominated that division from the outset. Um, he was good at everything, um, you know, jujitsu, wrestling, defense, nasty Muay Thai, nasty leg kicks. Um, and then my last guy I had was Anderson Silva. I think just the way he progressed the sport, the array of finishes. Um, you know, obviously the thing that dings him versus the other guys is Anderson has a couple losses, both early and late in his career, that I think bring him down a little bit. But, you know, at his peak, I mean, the guy was a wizard in the cage, just absolute master of distance, of movement, and you know, use that to his advantage. Parker, yeah. who, did, who did you have? Uh, for me, John Jones is number one, hands down. He could retire, walk away from the sport right now. He's he's the best mixed martial artist ever. Um, John Jones, number two, I had GSP. I just think, you know, although his fighting style compared to John Jones, compared to Conor McGregor is completely different. He was just a dominant all-around fighter um, that avenged both of his losses. Um, you know, got two titles, um, class act. So he's number two for me. Um, number three, I had Anderson Silva. You know, I think Anderson Silva, Fedor are kind of right there. Uh, both of those guys in their prime just had an aura about them. They were untouchable. Um, Fedor obviously never made it to the UFC, which was a shame. Um, you know, if we could have had Fedor in his prime in the UFC, I think we would have had a lot of fun, would have had a lot of good fights. And I think he would be more well-renowned as one of the greatest fighters of all time. So those two are kind of, you know, tied at three for me. Um, after that, I've got to say, you got to go DC. I think the resume that DC has put together at light heavyweight and heavyweight, I don't see how you could deny he's a top fighter of all time. He's beat everyone on the planet across two weight classes, across multiple organizations that aren't named John Jones and Stipe Miocic. Um, so DC, I think, gets snubbed on these lists a lot, and I, I don't get it. I think he's he's going to be, when it's all said and done, he's going to be one of the greatest fighters of all time. And I think he's going to be one of those guys that when we look back 10 years from now, you're going to realize how great DC was. And, you know, John just had his number <laughs> as the bottom line. And, you know, in the, the fight he lost to Stipe, he was beating Stipe's ass most of the fight. And then Stipe just hung in there. kept and what, 41 years old? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, 
DC in my in my eyes, he's one of the best to ever do it. And then I think at number five, you've got arguments for Khabib. Obviously, if he finishes his career undefeated, he's going to go down as one of the best fighters ever. Um, and then I think after that, you're kind of in Connor Jose Aldo territory. Um, Connor, he could walk away from the sport right now, and I would regard him, you know, right in the top five just because of what he's done for the sport and what he's mean meant for the sport and how many eyes he's brought to the sport. I think that that's very very important. You know, we, we're not where we're at today in the UFC if it's not for Conor McGregor. So he's a pioneer. And when we go back and look at his resume, when he's all said and done, it's going to be pretty spectacular. I mean, he's got knockout wins against Max Holloway, uh, Jose Aldo, Eddie Alvarez, Dustin Poirier. I mean, it's... It, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, his his resume is going to be incredible, especially if he can get a win back against you know get a win against Justin Gaethje, or you know goes goes and knocks out you know George Masvidal, another big name like that. Like it's only big big fights from here on out for Connor. So I think three or four more fights, he he adds just gigantic names to his resume. Um, he's going to be a top five fighter for sure. So that that was my list, but it was interesting. Literally seemed like. Connor just went on a rant, and then the whole MMA planet went into debates about their their greatest fighters of all time. So uh, that was interesting. I thought I'd ask you about that. Um, what do we got next? Uh, you want to run through these uh, recently booked fights, and then yeah, let's do that. You started off. I lost my page here. How about we do recently booked fights, Mike Tyson, and then we get out of here. Oh, Jesus, Mike Tyson. I'm so scared of him making a return. <laughs> All right. So first one that got booked, Aljamain Sterling against Corey Sanhagen. So what? what's going on? Are they booking Peter Yan and Jose Aldo? They haven't booked any, any Peter Yan for anything. I think they're booking this and thinking that the winner of that fight is going to fight Yan for the 135 title. Yeah, no, I, I love this matchup. This is a stylistically, this is a really, really fun fight. Um, I agree. I, I would be totally down with that. I think Peter Yan's done enough to earn that title fight. I think you had these two guys fight it out um, to get the next crack at the title. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Dom Cruz, Jose Aldo. I think that's a fun fight. I think Dom Cruz has still got a little bit to offer Jose Aldo. That That's a great matchup. So, um, that was good to have booked at Bantamweight there. Next, we get Chase Hooper, Ben Askren's son, uh, back in action against, uh, what's his name? Bruce Leroy. Bruce Leroy. Hell yeah. That That's a really, really fun fight. Big step up in competition for Chase Hooper. He's a guy, he came off the Contender Series. Um, he's got a lot of personality. Great fighter. Super technical. His jiu-jitsu is awesome. Um, so that, that was a... That was a good fight. What do you think about that? And it's a do or die fight for Caceres. I mean, if you remember, he got choked out really, really quickly against Crone Gracie. Uh, I don't think Hooper's jujitsu is at the level of Crone Gracie, but I mean, Caceres is kind of at the the end of his rope here at the UFC if he loses this one, even though he does have that. Yeah, he has that fun karate style. Um, but you know, if Hooper's able to get him to the ground and submit him, I think that could be curtains for the, the UFC career here for Bruce, Bruce Leroy. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, at flyweight, we got the the rematch booked. I think that's the only fight to make um, 
we talked about this two weeks ago, maybe, but um, Joey Benavides gets his rematch against Davison Figueroa. Um, I I think you had to book that. I mean, I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. I thought that was a great fight. Obviously, Figueroa didn't make weight the first time, so the the title remained vacant. And for Joey Benavides, this is his last crack to get UFC gold. And you know, I think that's a great matchup. Yeah, let's run it back. I think it's perfect. I'm I'm glad they did it. All right, Sugar Sean, back in action in what nine days? Week nine days until we get Sugar Sean. Let's freaking go! Uh, taking on Eddie Wineland, former WEC champ. Um, this is a really really fun fight. Yeah, I think it's a perfect yeah, fight. perfect fight to kind of ease Sugar Sean into that top ten because once he gets in that top ten, everyone's going to be coming for his head. That dude's. You know, especially if he goes in here. Five is, yeah, is such a gauntlet. It's such a gauntlet. It, it's, it's brutal. So, it's crazy. Um, I love this fight. I think Wineland is is a vet and you know a crafty guy who you know will will be able to give Sean some problems. I think ultimately Sugar Sean's going to finish him, but uh, you know, I I really like this fight and I think it's going to be a great experience for him. No, I agree. Um, all right, real quick, I got to mention Joe Joe Rogan and his. Hundred million dollar deal to sign exclusively with Spotify. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, I think you know. Ultimately, all this does is free free up Parker's MMA show for the uh, you know Apple Podcast rankings. Yeah, we're we taking over YouTube. Joe, our, our competition. Uh, we're we're, we're coming we're coming for Joe's spot on YouTube. Um, crazy. But Spotify I mean, Spotify can call our agents at any time. You know, if, yeah. if you have a similar deal for Parker and I. Um, we are open to it. We're, we we're open for business. But that's crazy. For I think that's huge for podcasts, MMA in general. I, for Joe to continue to grow the audience, you know, I think he had today he had on Justin Gaethje and it had ridiculous views. So I, I think his show is very, very important. The way he's doing it, you know, giving these fighters a platform to just come out and talk and talk about fighting, talk about their story, talk about the life. I think that's really, really important for our sport, and uh, that's awesome. He signed that deal. That's pretty fucking awesome. Congratulations, Joe. You're the man. Um, all right, BKFC debating bringing, or they have an offer on the table, a $20 million offer to bring Mike Tyson out of retirement at age 53. What are your thoughts on this? I have no desire to watch Mike Tyson fight bare knuckle and where is bare knuckle boxing getting eight figure purse money like that's what i'm asking what what is going on i have no idea parker i i i've been trying to figure out like the the bare knuckle boxing thing you know uh, since kind of the paulie malinaji artem lobov fight where i was like okay the, the novelty's over like i'm not interested in this and i'm you know the biggest combat sports fan i know and then they come out with this, and they're trying to get him to fight Vanderlei Silva, and Tito Ortiz is interested. Can we not? Can we not with the MMA fighters trying to fight Mike Tyson? I don't want to see re- on the verge of retiring legends of MMA fighting Mike Tyson in boxing. I just don't want to see that. I really don't want to see Mike Tyson fighting, fighting bare knuckles, period. I think he could kill someone. Have you seen how, how amazing he looks? The dude is shredded and still like when he's doing the shadow boxing, it is so scary. 
He looks like he hasn't lost a step. It's crazy. Three three-minute rounds, either Shannon Briggs or Evander Holyfield. No more. We don't need any more. Like, just an exhibition bout, normal boxing gloves, maybe bigger boxing gloves, and just, you know, just get it over with. You know, we all have the morbid curiosity to see Mike Tyson fight again, but not bare knuckle, not against an MMA guy. All right, Dave Feldman, I got a game plan for you. I want a pride-style one-night tournament, four men, Mike Tyson versus the Axe Murderer, Holyfield versus Shannon the Cannon. Let's go. Let's do it. That that could generate some some money. I'm down with that. Let's do it. Mike Tyson might kill Vanderlei Silva. Mike Tyson might kill all of them. Have you seen how scary he looks? He's he's so. I I'm so scared of Mike Tyson. All right, um, we got to get someone from Bare Knuckle Boxing on the fucking on the on the podcast to give us a give us a scoop on what the hell is going on here. All right. So that covers it. Billy, anything else you want to add? I think we we made our time. We hit an hour, hour and two minutes. We are right on right on spot. So um yeah, big, big main event this weekend. Um I would expect that June six card is gonna have a lot of fun fights on it. So everyone, you know, check out the fights this weekend. Be on the lookout for the fights on June six. I think that's gonna be a big, big card. Um same as always, like, subscribe, share, get the word out. Me and Billy will keep bringing the information week by week. So we'll be back um, next week to recap the card and then look forward to the June 6th card. Billy, any closing words? You excited for hockey to come back, Parker? I need something else. Yeah, I think I need a little bit of hockey. I don't I don't know how I'm going to do hockey, though, with not going. The, the big thing... Hockey, I got to be there live. I'm not hugely in on watching hockey on TV. I got to be there live, and I don't know what's going to happen. When does hockey return? They haven't announced a date yet, but they're going to do a 24-team playoff, so 12 teams per conference. And uh, Dallas is supposed to be one of the hub cities, right? Dallas is bidding to be a hub city, but there'll be no fans anyway, so it really doesn't matter. I was, I've got a little inside scoop real quick. We'll talk a little hockey, but anyway, uh, Dallas apparently has eight, you know, star centers. So I think the idea is, you know, they're going to just fly teams in and they'll have, you know, kind of tournament style playoffs and they'll host them all at those centers. So that'd be kind of interesting, but I, so they're done with the regular season. They're just jumping into playoffs. Right into the playoffs. All right. Parker's MMA show experts in fighting semi-experts in hockey thank you everyone for tuning in we'll catch you next week billy you're the man we'll see you later till next time adios adios parker thanks for listening to parker's mma show take a moment to rate and review on apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast and visit parker keen's mma show.podbean.com for additional information on parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world for more information and important links about today's episode check out the show notes